Hi, everyone, and welcome to the new episode of the Women in Economics Initiative podcast, in which we cover the latest research in gender economics and inspiring career paths of female and non-binary economists. I'm Jelena, the events coordinator for the Women in Economics Initiative and your host this season. Today, I'm joined by Alessandra Locca, an assistant professor at the Ludwig Maximilian University in Munich. And uh, the two of us will talk in the first half of the episode about her career path. And in the second part, we will discuss her very interesting research. Dear Alessandra, welcome to the WE podcast. Thanks, Elena. It's a great pleasure to be here. Thanks for the opportunity. Um, I'm sure you will have fun. We will have fun together today. Uh, so yes, um, it's a pleasure to be here. Uh, I'm Alessandra Locca. I'm an assistant professor at the University of Munich, LMU, as you said, and I'm part of the chair for comparative economics headed by Professor Monika Schnitzer. Uh, and we, in this group, we, we discuss topics related to innovation, competition, international trade. So this is me in a, in a nutshell. Um, and I'm Italian originally. I come from Naples, Napoli, the sunny Napoli. <laughs> yes. And then I, um, so I grew up there. I did my bachelor and master studies there. And then there is a, a nice group of professors and researchers that help me and support me to uh, go abroad and do my uh, academic career abroad. So I applied for PhDs and in the, in the end I decided to do my PhD in Mannheim. So I spent six years in Mannheim at the University of Mannheim where I did my PhD and it was a great experience in many dimensions. So it was shocking, of course, because it's slightly different from what I was used to in Italy, uh, but it was very diverse and very, very enriching as an experience, as you all can imagine. Um, so basically, I, I started in Mannheim, and it's a five-year program, it's a graduate school, and then in the first year, you do your courses, and then in the second year, you do your field courses where you start choosing where you want to end up being in the research area. And there I um, had this experience of attending a course in empirical industrial organization. Uh, and then I, I just loved it. And I started working in empirical industrial organization. And indeed, the professor that was teaching this course became my supervisor, Michelle Sovinsky. Uh, so um, I started uh, being interested in, in things related to, to um, empirical industrial organization. Uh, and a little bit, I can talk you a little bit more about my research maybe afterwards, but that's just to, to give you a, a hint of, of what, I'm, uh, what I'm up to. That is super exciting and wonderful. And I personally know you and, know, and I know how inspiring uh, you are and your career path, uh, at, at least to me. And I'm sure that it will be very inspiring to the audience as well. Um, and there are a couple of points that we will discuss during our talk that I think can be very beneficial for all of us who are at the very beginnings, um, for example, of our PhDs or uh, some for some students who are master students. Uh, but one question that I always like to ask uh, everyone who joins our podcast is, what was your inspiration for studying economics? What dragged you in? Yes, exactly. That's a, that's a nice question. It's a hard question, though. So um, in my high school, I actually was studying um, Latin and ancient Latin and Greek. So it's I did what is called Liceo Classico. So it's humanity. Uh, you study humanity. And um, I liked that. Uh, I liked it a lot, but I felt like I wanted to have more of a, a feeling of what is happening in the world. Uh, so what I liked from economics at the beginning is 
this idea of trying to understand human beings and trying to rationalize the decisions of human beings with math concepts. So it's, it's the basic idea of having models that can... So, you know, there, there are models in physics that, that explain things happening in nature. There are models that explain things happening. in, And then there's this thing of trying to explain what we do with math uh, and with models. And I think that was, that was amazing, trying to understand why people make certain decisions. And I, and I thought that was super inspiring. So that's what led me uh, studying economics and indeed... Um, in in my field, which is empirical industrial organizations, many questions we try to to answer are, for instance, why consumers buy products, or why firms decide to enter certain markets. Uh, and then I'll tell you a little bit more about my research. But you, you see this path of trying to understand uh, what happens and and why why it's important because then we can actually act on that with policy interventions and try to change that if we if we think it's not what it's economically efficient. So that I find, I found fascinating. Wonderful. That is inspiring as well. And it indeed reminds me of my own path. Um, although I was on the other side of the spectrum, I was studying natural sciences in high school and I had lots of math and physics and thing that was missing to me was society, was people. So that's why I said, okay, now I know this models. I know I have skills in my hand, but I want to apply it to something that's of my interest. But uh, it's fascinating. Yes, exactly. And then it's like you you th- you start thinking about the micro level, right? Like the, the consumers and firms, and then you can go to a different level, which is the macro level. And I think that's, you know, like that, that's just super interesting. Um, so, yeah, th- I think we are very well uh, in line uh, in this regard. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. Absolutely, yes. So I will now bring you back to the time when you were doing your PhD. Uh, and I fi- find that your story um, is very interesting to all of us. Uh, so you have changed the environment. You came from Italy to Germany. Things were new. You had to adjust on so many different levels. And you were super successful. You completed your PhD successfully. And afterwards, you landed a job in a very prestig- at a very prestigious uh, university in Germany. You came here to Munich. But uh, I would like you to, after now a couple of years in academia, after looking back at your PhD, if you could tell us um, what would be the tips for us who are currently doing their PhD and who have aspirations to stay in academia, what should we pay attention to, to or what are some general tips that you would give to a PhD student how to use our time wisely? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, this is a second very difficult question. Yes. So is it going to go like that forever? <laughs> I, I promise it will be, it will be easier uh, as okay. we continue. <laughs> But I mean, I'm joking, uh, Yelena. So first of all, thanks. It's uh, thanks for your nice words. I, I don't know if I deserve them, but, uh, but thanks. You um, absolutely do. <laughs> thanks. So um, so let me say first that I was very lucky. So uh, you know, I think I was very lucky in my life, and that's a fact. But of course, the PhD uh, path is difficult. So the academic path is very difficult, and you also know that. There are many many things one could say. I, so one, I could probably give. Three tips um, from my own experience. Don't take it like broadly. It's just my own experience. And I hope that helps. 
The first is if you start a PhD, you're going to face your limits. So you, you always face your limits in, my, in your life. But a PhD is a different level. You're going to face big limits. And that can be very, very frustrating. Now, the, the, what is the trick there? The trick is trying to change limits in, into challenges and um, so that it becomes not a hurdle, but like something positive. So you have to convey, like you have to try to change the direction such that it becomes a positive challenge. So positive energies. I know that sounds very cheap because, you know, but it's, it's really exactly what I had to do. And it was a very costly process. But that's the way in which uh, I think one should think about doing a PhD. So you have limits for sure you have. I mean, no way you're, I mean, no one is lim limitless. You have limits, you transform them into challenges. That's the first kind of motto that I, I want to transfer. That's super powerful. I mean, uh, what I understand from that is that uh, we are here to grow and we should always remind ourselves that uh, process is painful, but it's a challenge. It's something positive. It's for our good. It's for our best. So despite the hurdles and despite the, the fact that it's hard, um, in a couple of days or months or years, you will be very proud of yourself if you manage to um, be strong and overcome the, the challenge that's in front of you. Wonderful. Wonderful. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And, and it's like positive thinking. That's the, 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 the thing that you have to, to have in your mind. I mean, you're going, there are going to be days in which you are completely lost in your reason. What kind of path should I take in this project? I have no, absolutely no idea. And then you stop and think, okay, as you said, am I, am I ready to do the jump? Am I ready to do it? Yes. Then let's go ahead. So the, that's the first thing. The second thing is, um, Try to be surrounded by people that support you. What do I mean by that? You're going to face um, decisions. You're going to make decisions in your life and decisions that will bring you away from your family, your partner. I experienced that myself. And in those moments, I actually wanted them to tell me what to do. So I was like, please tell me what to do. I have no idea. And I mean, what I really um, appreciated from them is like, I, we can't tell you what to do, you, you have to know what to do. And that's, I think, the being free, but be being supported is a Im very important uh, thing for an academic path. It's a blessing, yes. It's a blessing, yes. And I mean, if, you, if you're not surrounded by, by those people, just get, get rid of them. Honestly, th these are not the people that, that love you. That is super powerful. I mean, now I'm going through it. And yeah, I would say that if you don't have supportive environment, um, it's super hard. And especially to have supportive environment at home. That's yes. And it doesn't have to be that they. It doesn't mean that your if your parents didn't have a degree or so. That doesn't matter. It's just the the loving support that you need. Uh, and that's the second thing. And then as a closing. Um, it's a it's an experience so related to the first point maybe it's an experience that is going to enrich you so try to explore this experience as much as you can as an ex enriching experience you're going to live in places that are probably different from what you you're used to but this is going to make you grow up as we said right so try to make the best out of that and again these are uh, you know these are 
should someone told, have told me that when I was 25, I would have said, oh, here she comes. I'm in another person that gives uh, like, you know, uh, some cheap comments. It's, I mean, I, I really experienced that. So I think that I really mean it. Uh, and I, I think you should really take this, these words and, and think about them if you want to pursue an academic career. That's wonderful and so empowering. Many thanks for these wonderful tips. I could not agree more with you because um, I myself, I'm at the very beginning, but I had to transition also moving from one country to another, uh, leaving my family behind and so on. Um, so the things that you mentioned are super important are i mean that's what's what's called life i mean th these are life lessons not only career lessons but i i i'm sure that our audience will appreciate it and uh, that people will think over this beautiful tips i will i will write them down uh, in the description of the podcast so people can go back to them uh, whenever they want uh, i also know that you have a very specific case and that you were in a very unique position uh, to have two female supervisors. So in academia, not in academia, in economics, that's very rare, we have to say. Uh, but um, can you share with us how, uh, whether this was uh, important for you to make a decision um, to stay in academia because you had those female role models in front of you And on the other hand, what were the most significant lessons you, you learned from them? So I'm very curious to know what it looks like to be supervised by a female supervisor and generally what's the setting. So it's great to be supervised by, by, female, by women. Uh, let me start with that. Yes, so my um, PhD advisor was, uh, is a woman. So Michelle Sovinsky, she's in Mannheim. And my current mentor is, is a woman, Monica Schnitzer, and I couldn't be more lucky. Let's put it this way. The first thing is I immediately got to connect with them. And I think that's something related particular to, to women, to females. So the, the first day I met both uh, Michelle and Monica, I was like, wow, connection. That's it. Then two things, I think, came across very strongly of, of both of them. Of course, they are very different, uh, but I, so it's it's there is some common path. The first is this I, this leadership role that I could really see immediately from the first time. This strength and power that they were they, they, there was some kind of aura. There is some kind of aura around them that it's inspiring and fascinating. And the second is that you could see how hard it was for them to, to go through. I, I don't, I mean, it's not that I, I know all their personal experiences, but you could see how hard it was for them to go through and to become um, an established researcher woman in academia. But that led them to have some kind of sensitivity and, and that was then helpful for me as a PhD student or like a junior person, because they, they cared. And I could see that they cared about me and, and my research and also my personal environment. So they were asking 
think and I mean so I can I'm not saying that men are not like that right so it's this is just, and I didn't even experience I mean I have men co-authors and uh, that's completely that's equally nice I'm just trying to convey what it means what it meant for me to have these two strong women next to me um, like supporting me and that definitely helped me to transition to, to from being a PhD student to being a junior because it's definitely a role model that you want to aim at sometimes it can be scary don't get me wrong it's it's like will I ever be like that I don't know because I, I'm not sure I would be the same strength and power so it can be slightly scary in some moments but it's definitely powerful and strong and it's something that is super inspiring wonderful i mean now i have goosebumps and uh, i really wish that we had more female supervisors that m many more people could uh, have su such a wonderful experiences uh, because that really sounds very inspiring very inspiring thanks <laughs> wonderful i mean I think that if we wanted, we could go on like this for next uh, hour and Three a half days, and maybe. talk <laughs> or even even longer, yeah. as you say, uh, because there are lots of stories to be told about your experience with working with them and so on. Uh, but at this point, I would just slow slowly like to transition into your research. Um, by um, closing this section um, and mentioning that you're also part of the Women Economics Initiative Mentoring Program and that your mentor is another exceptional female economist, Alisa Schneebaum from University of Vienna. I told you that I'm so, very lucky in my life. I don't know why <laughs> I told you that. Everyone has to, has to be a bit yes. lucky. Uh, absolutely. Uh, I also know, Alisa, could you, in a minute or two, just give us your first impressions about uh, this mentoring program? Uh, how did you connect with Alisa well? Did you learn something from her? So, so far, what are your experiences? Yes, instant connection as well with Alisa. She's just great. She's just a great, super great mentor. And what I like fr from this experience, uh, and, and by the way, like, let me thank you again for, for being part of this Women in Economics initiative. I think it's, it's simply great. What I like from Alisa is that she's very practical. So we talk, uh, we, we have these meetings um, every month. We're trying to have it every month or so. Uh, it's around 45 minutes. Uh, we discuss about certain things, and she comes up with uh, tricks and, and tips for me. So I'm like, I have this problem. Okay, so why don't you do that? Or, you know, I experienced that. Okay, uh, I suggest that you do this and that. And I actually implement them and it works very well. So I, I go the, 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 the time afterwards, I'm like, you know, Alisa, that worked very well. And she's like, oh, I'm happy. Or like, you know, this time I only did two out of three. Okay, that's fine. So it's kind of an homework, which works for me uh, because it's very practical. Uh, that's, uh, that makes it realistic. That makes it, sometimes you can be skeptical about these mentoring programs, right? Oh, what is this going to be about? Is it like, uh, like, you know, general things that I don't even care. No, no, that's that's really it. I mean, it's very into realistic things, realistic problems and how to solve them. 
Perfect, perfect. I couldn't have better summed up uh, my own experience as well, uh, because as you say, it is not theoretical. Those are not lectures. Those are not coffee with your friends. But you go straight straight to the point, ask what you're interested in. And I'm super grateful to all women who are uh, mentors this year, because so far, based on all the experience I have gathered from my friends as well, it seems that all of us get information that are straight up to the point and tips that um, really reflect their own experience and their wisdom that they collected over the past years. And I'm super grateful that I don't have to wait to finish my PhD and experience junior professorship and so on in order to be able to realize in a couple of years what they have shared with me. Uh, so I'm, I'm super grateful as well and I'm glad uh, that you enjoy mentoring program too. Um, this was wonderful uh, and it was very nice uh, to, to get to know you a bit better and I'm sure that our audience will be inspired by your wisdom and everything that you have shared with us with your career path uh, and um, I always love to, to listen to different stories of how people succeeded. But now I would also like to talk a bit about your research because that part is also super amazing and interesting. And uh, I will just give a short intro and tell that um, the first project that we're going to talk about uh, can be helpful and insightful for everyone working in teams. And I think that that is all of us, that somehow we end up working in teams. But uh, Alessandra will tell us uh, does that give any utility to us as individuals? Does it differ if we are at the beginning of our careers or in some senior ages? So uh, do give us some information about your job market paper and findings you, you had. Yes, I'm glad to talk about my research. Thanks a lot and for the introduction. So yes, the first paper, it's actually called No Man is an Island. Just to say that we are not alone. We work in teams. Uh, and and it's about endogenous team formation and performance. So the idea is, suppose you, you are in a working organization and you let uh, people choose with whom they want to work and on which project they want to work. What would happen? Is this efficient from an economic perspective? Now, in order to understand this, we need to understand what drives people to work in teams. Why people want to work with other people on certain projects rather than others, and how this eventually affects the performance of these projects uh, at the end. I'm trying to answer this question using data from a very unique setting of a scientific uh, institution called the Ego Virgo Collaboration. This is a scientific institution that takes place in Italy. And the ultimate goal is to detect gravitational waves, which, so we are in the area of physics, uh, so the, they are building a tool, which is called an interferometer, to detect gravitational waves, which are uh, th things that follow up from phenomena occurring in the universe. So two stars collapsing, so it's, it's super fascinating. Now, th there are two things that make this setting ideal for what I want to study. The first is that this is a very clean setting where people are free to choose with whom they want to work and the projects they're going to work on, where here a project is more like a task. So they have to do something in the lab. They have to align lasers. So you have to, this is the, the way you have to think about projects. And the second is that they write everything they do 
in a diary of work, which is called logbook, every day, every project they work on. So there is all this kind of information, and it's amazing. There are around 200 researchers working in Virgo, and I look at about 3,000 projects, more or less, um, that span around four years. So there are projects and people have to work on these projects. So projects are set up in advance and people have to choose with whom to work. I model this as a, I have a model and then I estimate this with empirically with a structural estimation. So in the model, I have two main features. The first is the people, every person has to decide whether or not to enter a project and has a profit from entering a project that depends on the characteristics of the project, uh, the match that the person has with the project, and who else might potentially join the project. So there is some kind of uh, strategic component that I take into account. Why that? Because if you want to join a project, and we, we experience that right also in economics, you're thinking about who you want to work with, because th there can be some complementarities that, you know, happen um, and, and then or there some kind of subsidiability that you want to exploit in this project. And then you also might have some kind of career concerns. You want you may want to work with some person because you want to develop your career and so on and so forth. So this is an important part of my model. So people decide. Then there is an equilibrium outcome because everybody decides and then um, they form expectation on what is coming. There is an equilibrium and, and there is a selection into projects. Now, projects happen and then the final outcome of the projects realizes. And by here, I classify projects into completed and not completed. And then I see, okay, the project's outcome realizes. What is kind of the production function behind this project outcome? There is a project outcome. What are the inputs? What are the project characteristics? Who is in the project? Who selects into the project? And some kind of other factors. So there is some kind of selection that I control for in the first part of the model. And then there is a second part with the outcome equation. So this is kind of my model. I bring it to the data. There are some economic econometric tricks that I'm not going to talk about, but I'm happy to. If someone is interested, please please write me an email. So, uh, and then I, I use this data from, from the Ego video collaboration to, uh, to try to understand why people work in teams and to quantify these drivers. So what do I find? What I find is first that it seems like people on average, and by people, by the way, I forgot to mention that um, I also collect characteristics of these people. So I know their fields of research, their professional seniority, um, their, their nationality. And so I, 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 what I observe is that on average, people dislike working in larger groups. So the higher the number of people that I may potentially uh, work with in a project, the lower my probability of joining the project. However, there, are, there, is, there are some heterogeneity in, in that because actually um, juniors have a disutility from working in larger groups but for seniors, it's vice versa. So actually, they have a utility from working in larger groups. How one could explain that? There are several mechanisms that one put, with which one could potentially explain that. One is that as a junior, I don't, I wouldn't want to work with too many people because then you're, it's hard to recognize what is my contribution to the project. And this is something that has been explored uh, recently in the literature about innovation and teams. So this internal signaling, this kind of recognition. 
Another one would be that there are some coordination costs that are harder to face for juniors relative to seniors. So for seniors, it's easier to work in larger groups because they are uh, good to coordinate larger groups. For, for juniors, that's, that's less of a case. So they, these are the kind of mechanisms that I'm trying to explore. The last piece is, okay, I have a structural model. That's the beauty of that is that I can see what would happen if I change something, something in the environment. And what I see is to imagine that there is some kind of manager that assigns now people to projects. So remember that the whole thing is that people are choosing volu voluntarily what to do. Now I imagine that there is someone that assigns pe people to projects, ignoring how much they like or dislike working with other people. And what I find is the, in this setting is that actually the, the probability of project completion goes down because people don't seem to internalize the costs and benefits of working together. And this is, of course, one of the many counterfactuals that I'm trying to, to look at, because one could explore the diversity, what happens if I have more diverse teams, and, and so on and so forth. But this is just the beauty of, of the model that I can bring to the data. Wow, this is so fascinating. Thanks a lot for sharing this with us. I mean, this is not 100% uh, related to genders. We did not discuss anything on genders here. But still, I think that there are several important takeaways. First of all, maybe if I may say so as, a, as an advice coming from your research results, if you're in position to let people choose which projects to work on and with whom to work on those projects, do let them choose. They will perform better and there is higher likelihood that they will complete the projects. And also second thing that, yeah, keep in mind, if you have more junior people, let them work in a bit smaller groups. And if, on the other hand, if you're senior, then it's easier for you to coordinate large groups. Wow. Yes. Of course, let me let me say that this is true, of course, for my setting. There are different incentives that come into place. These are scientists. They are highly intrinsically motivated. They're super determined in a firm that might be slightly different, right? Because there might be different incentives. But I agree with you that at least in this setting, which is super clean and super related to innovation, which is an important area of economics, this is what seems to be happening. And at least there is a model. I, I'm bringing a model that can potentially be adjusted to other things for, for trying to understand what, what happens in other contexts. But I agree with you that these are the, 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 the lessons that I learned from, from this setting. Wonderful, wonderful. I also understood that you were not able to bring gender dimension into this program uh, solely because you did not have uh, enough data as share of women in physics is, I would say, probably even lower than in economics. Yes, it's, it's around 15%. It's super, super low. Yes. So it was important, unfortunately. Yeah. But I do know that you are exploring gender dimension in another project of yours. So if you would be willing to share what is the story behind this novel project, what you plan to do, um, that would be, I think, very interesting for our audience. Yes, I'm happy to do that. So as a premise, it is a very preliminary work, preliminary work. So it's still work in progress and it's a joint work with uh, great co-authors, um, Bernard Gangelmeier, um, uh, Nicola Persico, Emanuele Tarantino, Timothy Simcoe. So it's it's a group of um, a gr group of co-authors. Um, and here we also look at um, an institu an, a scientific institution but we look at something related to gender. You're right. So we, we look at the ITF, 
uh, Internet uh, Engineering Task Force, which is an institution of scientists uh, that is um, responsible for developing internet standards. So if you, whenever you, you, you go online and there is this HTTP or HTTPS, that thing was developed from them. So they basically work on exactly on these things. And you can see that this is uh, both scientifically relevant, but also a lot of money. So it's, it's money for business because these are standards that are then, um, that become patents. I mean, if they, they go through a certain process and then at some point after they reach a certain consensus, they become patents. So here, what we are, we are trying to understand is, is the following. We use a natural experiment to study the role of female leadership, of female leadership on female participation within a, a this scientific institution. Let, let me explain it very briefly. Uh, this is a, an institution that has uh, a committee uh, that then um, appoints the head, the head of the, the directors of the working areas. So it's a, it's called NOMCOM, Nominating Committee. And this committee is composed by 10 members. Now, these 10 members are taken from a set of volunteers, but they are chosen randomly using an algorithm. They are drawn through an algorithm randomly from this pool of volunteers. So this is a unique feature because it's a natural exogenous, a natural experiment, exo super exogenous variation that we can exploit. So we see that there are some women that are appointed through the, this, um, so conditional on the share of volunteers, of female volunteers, there are some women that are, that are elected as members of this committee. And what we want to understand is how this affects participation in the whole institution of females relative to male. And by participation, I mean participation in meetings. So this, uh, this, uh, they meet three times a year to discuss ideas and to exchange ideas. By participation, I mean writing emails. So we even have data, this data set is great. We have data about how many emails, they've, who wrote how many emails, and then uh, eventually who wrote working drafts and then these drafts became standards and then patents. So the whole process. So we, we are trying to understand, and I, unfortunately, I can't give you any kind of results so far, but this is what we are trying to explore in our project. That's super amazing. But uh, do you perhaps have, it, have a hypothesis of what kind of results do you expect? Do you expect positive impact of female role models? It's hard to say. I can tell you what we hope to find <laughs> and what we hope to find is that there is a positive impact um, of more females in in the committee uh, on the participation of more females in the ITF uh, and that would be a great result for us uh, and one could explain that as a role we have an idea in mind of role model so you know you observe these great women being in this committee and you are more prone to like, oh, okay, this is so inspiring. I really want to participate into that. But so, so to be honest, we, we don't know what, what, what to expect. What, what we hope is this, but we, it's not clear what is going to happen. Yes, yes, I completely understand. It's the very beginning of the project, but it sounds very inspiring. And I do really hope that we will, um, that people will follow your work and find out what the results will be in a couple of months. Uh, but I, I really 
uh, hope personally that the results will be now that, as we have discussed, that there is a positive relationship uh, that female role models matter, because from our own personal experience, this seemed to be the case. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Wonderful. Um, last question that I would like you to answer and with which we're closing this episode because believe it or not we have talked more than uh, 36 minutes uh, is do you have some recommendations for us um, that could be useful for our uh, female econ members so it can be anything it can be a podcast a book organization individual whose work you would like to feature so anything that you would like to um give us um, more details on and to tell us that we should go and check out. Yes. <laughs> so uh, it's hard to give names uh, of, there are so many great female um, economists or like there is a lot of work. And also you, you don't bring justice if you only give, you know, one or two names. That's why. I agree. <laughs> exactly. Right. But there is um, one thing I want to convey is uh, this Women Economics Initiative is amazing. So in general, mentoring programs and networking programs for women, for um, diverse people are just very great. So have a look at our initiative. Our I say ours, is, I mean, it's just because I'm part of that. I'm a member of that. <laughs> the Women Economics Initiative. Uh, so for that, that's for people uh, from the bachelor onward. Then if you are a junior, um, have a look at what the American Economic Association has as a mentoring program. The European Economic Association starts having that too. So these are all very... What I like is that they um, make things realistic. So there is, it's not just a role model, but it's a role model you can talk to and you can experience it. So it's, everything is tangible. And that's why I think these experiences are great. Also... Every institution nowadays, also LMU, right? So we, we are starting having these mentoring programs. So if you are in any institution, uh, at least uh, I'm sure in, in the US, Europe and the US and, and any other uh, country in the world, just ask because there might be already a mentoring program. So I really, um, you know, I, I suggest that you, you look for these kind of programs. Wonderful. So we should not only attend events and lectures and be passive, but try to really have... Uh, active role and interact with those people because that is how we will get personalized information that we're interested in and that's how we're going to benefit most from the programs that already exist and that are made to make our lives easier, I would say. Yes, Wonderful. absolutely. Well, Alessandra, it was so inspiring to talk to you and thanks. I'm, I'm a bit sad I have to say that we're closing this episode. It was a great pleasure to talk to you. Thanks a lot. It, it was my pleasure as well. And I hope that our listeners at home enjoyed as well. Uh, so today we talked about Alessandra's career. We get some, got some very interesting insights um, from her and into her research. And um, I have written down one thing that I would like everyone to take away. And that is that we need more female role models because based on our whole conversation, that is the line I have in front of me that, yeah, I think that the world would be a much better place if we have had more female role models in every sector. And 
we we can say that we would like to do, have so in academia. And uh, I would really love if this can inspire more uh, younger women to stay in academia and to yeah be the change that we are all hoping to to make. Uh, because um, it seems to be a huge pleasure to be uh, working with female supervisors. Yes, absolutely. Wonderful. Uh, then in that case, uh, we um, sign out and uh, I wish you all a wonderful rest of the day. Uh, stay tuned for the next episode. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks a lot. The views expressed in WE podcasts are those of the interviewers and the guests and do not necessarily reflect the opinion of the organization, its partners, other members, or any other affiliated people and organizations. We'd also like to thank Maddie Stevenson for writing and recording our original theme song. For anyone who would like to learn more about the Women in Economics Initiative, please find us online as well as on most social media channels.